When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Morena, New Zealand, good morning to you wherever you are. Uh, improving weather uh, on Hawke's Bay. I hope it's uh, certainly the case uh, around the country for you people as well because uh, we need it. We need to dry out, don't we? Uh, we've got a, a big show today, really have, uh, featuring uh, that uh, Maori All Black game against the Irish last night. We'll talk to Carl Tanana, who was sidelined in those pretty awful conditions. Uh, KT will give us uh, his review on uh, the, the two-match series, actually, between New Zealand uh, Maori, or Maori All Blacks, and, of course, uh, Ireland. And looking forward to the t- uh, test match again this Saturday night. Also, uh, talk back just after 9.30, Chemist Warehouse voucher uh, for 50 bucks up for grabs. What did you make of uh, the Maori All Black performance? What have you made of Ireland so far on this tour? Uh, was it, uh, is it an idea for the future? We'll see. Uh, motor racing, great. Legend, Greg Murphy, after 10 o'clock uh, to talk about uh, what's happening in the supercars. It's uh, really fantastic. Shane Van Gisbergen swept Townsville over the weekend. Uh, so we'll talk to Murph about that. Uh, the panel this morning is uh, Andrew Gordy and Brad Lewis, a number of topics to talk about there. Uh, and then, of course, uh, we're going to talk about uh, golf, don't we? Because the Open Championship, the 150th edition at the Old Course St Andrews, uh, is coming up uh, and starts uh, tomorrow night New Zealand time. Uh, a lot of uh, funny little idiosyncrasies about uh, the Open Championship, particularly being played at uh, St Andrews. And uh, David Bolesky, who was with us the other day, was uh, very, very popular. Um, we've uh, got him back to talk about the prospects for that. We'll have a stump smithy and other features as we head towards Staffy at midday. Sport is our religion. And here is Smithy's Sermon. Well, regardless of the outcome of Saturday and deciding test in Wellington, have we not got over the last three weeks and witnessed a brilliant blueprint for New Zealand rugby to build on a competitive three-test series and two quality midweekers against the Maori All Blacks unit that is crying out for more opportunity and recognition. Ireland are more than worthy. They have the depth to compete all the time. They are playing a brand of rugby both successful and attractive. France... Wales, England, Scotland, five of the six nations would do this latest concept so much justice. If you believe any of them would get belted five out of five, you're dreaming, Jonesy. Can't see too many downsides to it myself, but someone will, and therefore it is unlikely to happen. Sporting dynasties, uh, family-wise, are not rare in this country. Smallish populations sort of lend to that. But how about them Bracewells? Kevin, Doug, Mark, John, Brendan, five brothers... All first-class rugby players, four of whom played first-class cricket. Two, test cricketers. Then Dougie, son of the bro, Brendan, test cricketer. And now Michael, son of Mark, test cricketer, and of late, the star turn with the white ball. They sure have got competitive genes and the, the big match blood, those Braceful boys. They never say die, 
they never take a backward step. It's as sure as some family tree, and you could sell tickets to the family reunion. It would be some event. Twice now, young Michael has spared our blushes in the last three days on the cricket field, digging us out of decent holes. Thank God for the latest edition, I say. Imagine losing to Ireland five times in a week at two sports. Hard at the stomach and actually kissing the Blarney Stone itself. And before the end of the week, those that uh, should and like it should raise a glass of the dark gold and toast the Irish for what they continue to bring to the table and maybe to the Bracefuls for what they do too. P.S. You might want to raise something else though to the judiciary who've just handed Angus Ta'aval a three-week suspension. Really? have tried to put pressure on at scrum time but Ireland have always managed to clear the ball the kick is picked up by Love and off he goes, great run down the middle from Reuben Love he split them open, Cullen Grace is there in support, Love's the pass back in field, oh what a try Only rugby at its best what a break from Reuben Love something out of nothing and this is Māori All Black rugby at its best yeah, one of the great highlights of last night's game. It came a little bit too late for the Māori All Blacks to spark a remarkable comeback, but it did finish 30-24. to 24. There was a little bit of goal-kicking uh, issues for the Māori All Blacks as well, and their options uh, in the wet conditions from time to time. Uh, may have seen it go the other way in retrospect, but it didn't. Four yellow cards uh, in the match. Uh, it was an interesting game with four tries apiece in pretty average conditions, and sideline calling it for Sky Sport was uh, Seven's great and uh, Sky Sport commentator Carl Tanana. Carl, good morning to you uh, once again. Thanks for talking to us. Uh, look, uh, pretty average last night, so a pretty good game of rugby uh, in, in the conditions, eh? Morning, Smithy. Yeah. Oh, man, it was um, <clears throat> the start of the game, soon as kickoff and the teams were in out. It was absolutely uh, shocking uh, the weather that comes through. So, uh, once again, both teams try to play, but you'd have to give it to the Irish. The way they went about their work was pretty professional. and um, I think just the balance that the Māori All Blacks uh, didn't bring was probably the reason why it was that, um, well, why I think they sort of lost it in the end. Yeah, it was interesting, uh, the two approaches to the game. Um, Ireland, uh, particularly early on, taking the points at every opportunity. Um, and right from the very first uh, opportunity to get down in the 22, uh, the Māori All Blacks signalling they didn't want to go that way. Yeah, yeah, I mean, and... and um, it's their sort of uh, ethos, you know, they love running rugby, and um, I just think now, though, and, and conditions do dictate, you know, and I just think they got a little bit wrong. They did create opportunities, yeah, but I think uh, there's a number of passes that just didn't go to hand, and in those conditions, it was always going to be tough to, to get that last pass away, especially when you're 50 metres away from the next bloke. So I think the, the, the Irish got a spot on, and Andy Farrell spoke about it, just these young guys going through these situations and being able to manage these conditions under that extreme pressure against the... Uh, a pretty good team is you can't get any learnings as you know some of the you have to go through the grinder to really learn that as a young player and, and whatever professional sports so um you know i was really impressed the way that uh, young group of ireland took the learnings from that first game and really applied it and adjusted and, and come out with that performance tonight uh, yesterday sorry yeah well they lent uh, from the ninth minute onwards so you can't deny that they were lucky to win the game at any uh, point in times and one of the early turning points was that remarkable try 
they were gifted from uh, an unpredictable type line-out, which uh, uh, caught the Murray All Blacks completely by surprise. Yeah, yeah, and, and um, once again, uh, that's the thing, they've gone away and thought about things, you know, and, and, and picked the right opportunity, and, and it come for the most experienced bloke on their, on their roster with 96 caps and PCLs, you know, just their heads-up play and gave it to Jordan Lama, who was way to the situation as well, probably the two most experienced blokes, and uh, they know in games like that, that's something that gives you confidence, and the young guys grew from that, you can see, and, um, you know, that sort of really got the ball rolling for them. Okay, so uh, now we've got a really good indication too, haven't we, of uh, Ireland's depth. If we look to the World Cup, we know about their, their top side, their top 23 players, but uh, underneath there is a bracket. If you particularly look at that loose forward trio, there is a bracket there just waiting. Yeah, yeah, 100%, you know, and um, I was really impressed with them in, in game one with that uh, Prendergast, Timoney and, and Coombs. I think in particular Gavin Coombs has had a fantastic tour. Um, that first game he scored a try, set up a try, and then yesterday once again scored a um, try and, and was really good around uh, all facets of his role, you know. So he's a guy that's really, I think, taking a step forward and um, in front of the coaches and really, um, you know, once again, as he said, Smithy is, is uh, putting his hand up for getting in the spot for the 23. So that's what um, any coach wants is, is having young guys putting pressure on the older guys, especially when you're leading up to a bigger tournament later on next year. Uh, KT, um, often in wet conditions, the number 10s can sort of dictate with their accuracy. Wasn't a great night for Josh Juwani, yet for Kieran Frawley, it was almost faultless. Yeah, and, then, and that was uh, one thing I was speaking, speaking to Andy Farrell pre-match. Uh, he was um, really wanting that Craig Case and, and Kieran Frawley's new combo uh, to really thrive, and they did. I thought Craig Casey was outstanding too in the number nine jersey, his delivery, his organisation around those ruck areas, and um, clearance was fantastic and it just gave uh, Frawley a lot of time to do a thing and, and Frawley's kicking options I think were, were fantastic in those conditions and really applied the pressure and, and, and the Māori All Blacks try to run it out but I think sometimes um, Joshua just needed to take more control um, and yeah he was just off, off from the get-go um, Smithy whether it be off the tee or in his general kicking he just wasn't hitting it right for some reason or another so it's, um, we know he's a classy player but yeah well, it was just one of those nights in, in, in them days Okay, over the course of uh, the two games from uh, the Māori All Black point of view, um, KT, who enhanced their reputations um, for uh, higher honours and who perhaps maybe did not? Um, I, I thought Colin Grace, once again, was was um, was, was good these last couple of games. He, he ran a muck the first game. Obviously, Highland aimed up on him a little bit more um, the last night, but I, I think it was fantastic. Um, also, I thought Tyrone Lomax did a lot of good work um, for the Māori All Blacks, uh, whether it be in his core role or around the park. I thought he was very busy, and um, you know, I, I thought he was great. So I think those two guys, I and mean, we saw what uh, Zan Sullivan did. He, did. he didn't get an opportunity last night, but man, he, I don't think you can sort of rule out what he did in that first game because he really controlled and was a star turn for them in that um, in that first game in, in Hamilton. So it's. Um, Peter McMillan wants to give every guy a run in, in the squad. That's why Josh Morby got his debut in the 15 jersey um, last night. But I'm sure if um, you hear a different thinking, um, Clayton, I'm sure, as Dan Sullivan being stuck in that 15 jersey. And once again, he's a left foot kicker. I mean, he's a great long kicker too. He can get you right out of trouble. And his exit last night would have been a perfect um, opportunity for him in these conditions to, to really get the Māori in, the, in the, another position, especially with Josh Iwani not hitting it properly. So I think he's another guy. Uh, I think it's uh, it's really um, gone forward in the, in the last couple of games. 
Carl, I, I just wonder now, um, unfortunately this puts a bit of a full stop on, on Māori rugby again. What is on the radar for them? Have you heard anything likely coming up on the back of the, I would say, outstanding success of these two matches? Yeah, yeah, no, I haven't had anything, Smithy, and that's been the trouble, and it's always been the trouble, you know, and, and the Māori All Blacks do have a test series such as this, and then um, go back into the wilderness, you know, and might get a game uh, against a tier two or three um, t- token ones later on down the track. So, no, I haven't heard uh, anything, and it's something that I think really needs to be addressed. Okay, well, one possibility is, uh, is the Pacific Nations Cup. So they could play against uh, maybe Australia, A, Fiji, Samoa, uh, Tonga. Um, would that would that be uh, ideal for you, or, or are they deserve it of better than that? Well, I'd like to see them. They want to play Tier One Nations. Uh, Smithy, I'll, I'll be honest with you. But um, you know, I think the the, the way that the guys have made themselves available uh, with Tonga, with Charles Piutau and uh, Falau and, and whatnot, I think you know that, that that's where they've predominantly gone to. After situations like this, and the Pacific uh, Nations are going at the moment, so um, it's pretty tough to jump in there. But uh, some more obviously are very strong when they're at full strength. And I suppose at the moment those teams will have yeah, full strength sides coming in as they prepare for the for, for the World Cup. But um, you know, I'd really like them to get more op- uh, more opportunities against the two ones. I, I I quite like this concept, you know, of of these three. I, I like a three test series, and the reason why I like it is because. Of this Saturday night, there's a decider, and I don't mind midweek games either against quality opposition. I mean, imagine this time next year if we could dish up the same involving, say, France or or uh, Wales or England. Yeah, totally, and I, and I think it's the perfect preparation. And Andy Farrell, I think, has really highlighted um, that's what he wanted to achieve and bringing these young guys around, and it's worked out perfect for them. Let's be honest, you know, he's said the hardest place to come and play. And then your traders in New Zealand, that's why he's done it. That's why he's given an opportunity to these young guys uh, in the squad and they've really stood up and now they're uh, making a headache for him, you know. So I think it'll be perfect for us to get something like that to mirror that uh, leading four because we know we're going to need tough games heading into World Cup up in Europe where it's going to be uh, ruthless. And, um, you know, I, I just think sometimes, Smithy, I could see um, our boys, whether it be the Test match or the Māori All Blacks last night, were too nice. And Super Rugby, the referees tell us to roll away, and we roll away and leave with those rucks and that clean. Whereas I noticed in the weekend when the Ireland tipped the, tipped the All Blacks up, and even last night, they're work at the breakdown. They'll be niggly, they'll be stamp on your feet, they won't get out of the way. They'll look at the ref to hold the ball, and the, the, that's something I think we need to adapt to better, and that's what the All Blacks are going to get going up to Europe. So I think the more we're able to expose ourselves to that and change our mindset around that and adapt it, I think that better will be. So I think that'll be absolutely perfect while you just um, get about uh, having a pre-test series leading to a World Cup. They, yeah, they do push. They push the boundaries uh, to their limit. And, and a lot of guys, a lot of sides do that. I mean, if you look at a New Zealand side, I mean, who pushes who pushes uh, the envelope the furthest uh, in terms of the offside line? Who, who, are, who are the best at, at being, uh, you know, um, niggly around the fringes? It's the Crusaders, week in, week yeah, out, year in, year out. They push it, they win, they win. Yeah, yeah, and and, and that's where I think we just need to have, yeah, like I said, we need to get our mind rights in that situation. And at the very least, you know, they're looking at the rest of the time to drop it, but it slowed the ball right down, you know, and we live on quick ball, so, I mean, that's something we really, really need to look at and, and adjust to and, 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 and get amongst as well, because that's going to be the European way it's going to be uh, um, refs. So, so it's, it's the only way we can get around it and... and it's, it's, 
Tough on uh, Angus uh, Ta'avola. It's been a great debating point this week on uh, whether, in fact, it was a red card offence or not. Now we find out this morning, not only was it a genuine red card offence, uh, it was worthy of seven weeks, reduced down to three. What's your, <laughs> what's your feeling on that? Who's the muppet who decided that? That's, that's just absolutely stupid. I mean, um, yeah, at, at the time, and we all know it, that it wasn't intentional. And, you know, you've got a, you got a, uh, a centre with good footwork uh, using his feet against the guy who's coming across to try to make a tackle and can't get down low enough. So that, uh, that's absolutely ridiculous. And I think that's where a lot of people are getting frustrated, whether it be players, whether it be um, fans. Um, it's, just, it's just, there's no common sense. You know, there's no black and white in regular. I think that's where a lot of frustrations come. There's a lot of grain. It's a, it's a, um, you have to be fluid sometimes. So for him to get three weeks for that, I think it's absolutely stupid. Yeah, I, I, I concur. And uh, our text machine is uh, echoing those uh, sentiments as well. Uh, KT, just finally, before we let you go, there is one hell of a test match coming up this weekend. You were sidelined last week. What do the All Blacks have to do better uh, in your thinking? And also... Uh, any changes you'd make? Obviously, Ta'ava won't be there. I say there's a change off the bench, but what do you envisage? Uh, I, thought it, I thought it was tough for Dalton Papaletti to go into the six role. I mean, he's a monster at seven. He's a pilfer. pilferer. He likes challenging at the ruck. I want to actually put him at seven, put Sammy Kane. I watched Sammy Kane uh, for for a period there uh, during the game, and like, I know he gets a lot of grief. He's a monster, man. Like the stuff, the stuff that people don't realise that he does, this little thing is absolutely. Monster, man, he was a big reason why I was staying up for that long. Some of those tackles he made and those shots he put on. Um, I think I would have put him at six and just let him smash people and, and do that and let Dalton get over the ball a bit more. So, um, you know, I think there'll be a change in the midfield. Um, maybe I'll bring in, um, uh, in um, Harvey, probably a big body in that, in, in that number 12 jersey, maybe. I mean, who knows? You might get a Roger two of us a shit, and he might be a difference maker, and he might get a bench spot. So, um, yeah, I think this would be changed. I, I still think we've got to figure out who our six is, and then we need to muscle up. I mean, um, we need to nail their ball runners a lot more earlier. We can't wait. We have to go forward and, and put them on their backsides like they did to us. And once we stop their go forward, um, then um, uh, yeah, I think we'll, we'll be a lot better. I think our set piece was fine. I think that'll be that'll be all right. But I think it's just we've got to stop their big ball runners and uh, get some go forward in the midfield ourselves and I think um, you know, it'll, it'll be all set up for us looking forward to your call there Smithy you sideline me oh, mate, it'll, be, it'll be absolutely humming in Wellington my man yeah I hope for better conditions than you cop last night mate great call <laughs> uh, thank you very much uh, for, for helping us out this morning uh, with your review of uh, that, uh, that clash and that double header actually between New Z- uh, the Murray All Blacks and of course uh, Ireland mate uh, thank you very much for your time uh, have a great day a uh, good rest of the week pal thank you Thanks, Billy. Go out this weekend, my man. It's just uh, Carl there, uh, folks. Sideline last night, uh, sideline on Saturday, and uh, sideline last night uh, for, in fact, for both uh, Murray All Black games against Ireland as well. And his uh, observations on uh, what he spotted from his particular vantage point. It is 9.21 here on SENZ, and we'll be back very shortly with some of your texts. And uh, we also will, at that point, solicit some calls for after the 9.30 news. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. 9.26 and uh, rugby's hot this week, but so is golf, of course, the 150th edition of the Open Championship and the great man is playing this year, Tiger Woods. And, of course, when he went to his press conference, they wanted to know what Tiger thought about live golf. And finally, he opened up. 
these players are doing for you know guaranteed money. Um, wh- what is the incentive to practice? What is the incentive to go out there and earn it in the dirt? Um, you're just getting paid a lot of money up front and playing a few events and playing 54 holes. They're trying to, you know, playing blaring music and have all these um, atmospheres that are different. I, I just don't see how, you know, I have 54 holes. I mean, I, I can understand 54 holes is almost like a mandate when you get to the senior tour. The guy's a little bit older and a little more banged up, but you know, when you're at a young age and some of these kids, they really are kids, you know, who have gone from amateur golf in into that organization. Um, 72-hole tests, you know, are, are part of it. I mean, we used to have 36-hole playoffs for major championships. You know, that's, that's how it used to be. Um, 18-hole U.S. Open playoffs, you know, that's... Um, I just don't see how that that move is is positive in the in the long term. Yeah, pretty passionate uh, Tiger Woods about the the whole deal. He hasn't been that outspoken about it, but of course he was always going to get quizzed on it once he got to press conference time uh, at uh, St Andrews, and uh, he was very very um, avid about the fact that it's just an easy way out. I mean, golf has been tough for a long period of time. That's why. You know they play four rounds uh, in the PGA and four rounds in the in the big tournaments uh, in Europe, etc. Is because by the time you get to the last part of the fourth round, fatigue sets in, and that's one of the great tests in any sport is when you get tired, how you react to it, uh, and, and if you're able to come that mentally and physically. Uh, and you don't get that in three round golf, and that's why they only play three rounds in the Champions Tour. It's easier on the brain, easier on the body. It is the easy way out. I mean, even Stephen Elko, with all his greatness, would admit to that. Playing golf on the Champions Tour is a lot easier than playing golf on the PGA Tour. So, I mean, there's absolutely no no uh, reason to hide about that. It, it is an absolute fact. Uh, so Tiger Woods is, is cashing in on there, and, uh, of course, the big boys are there. The very big boys are there. Uh, Jack Nicklaus is there. Uh, he's back uh, because it's the 150th. He's so much a part of the history. Tom Watson, uh, Lee Trevino, all the great guys of years gone by are there. And they're all uh, having a chance to chip in about uh, live golf. So, hey, look, he- here's the thing. Um, as far as uh, this Open Championship goes, it won't detract from that. It will not, and it should not. The interesting thing is that Greg Norman, who is a previous winner, a previous winner of the Open Championship, but, of course, the head spokesman for live golf, was not invited, in fact, told not to show up at the celebration dinners, the commemorative dinners, etc., as a previous winner, he was advised not to turn up because what he is doing is not good for the game of golf and the reaction to him being there would be adverse. Interesting, very interesting. Not going away. Uh, we bring it up pretty much every day and there's a lot of golf fans out there uh, because there's a new chapter every day and this is just the latest in it. It's 9.30 and here is Araha with our first news bulletin of the show. Talkback time with Smithy. Brought to you by Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. Call now for a chance to win today's $50 Chemist Warehouse voucher. 0800 150 811. Yep, 0800 150 811. A number of things to talk about uh, tonight, of course. We've got State of Origin 3. The boys featured it during the breakfast show quite a lot. 
Uh, but what about this one? Queensland, uh, one apiece, Queensland, uh, New South Wales and Brisbane. Uh, Brisbane have uh, a bit of an advantage there, I would imagine. You can talk about uh, what you saw last night uh, with the Maori game um, against uh, Ireland. You can talk about what you think will happen with the changes coming up this weekend for the All Blacks, perhaps. Or the ruling on Angus Tuttleville. There's plenty for you to call in on. Please uh, do that. And Zade has got up, uh, out of bed early this morning, and he's talking to us. Zade, good morning to you. Morning. Come long, Queensland. It's game three tonight, boys. 1 1. Um, I know Cameron Munster's not there, but still the Queensland advantage. Um, surely Dan Gagai is going to be uh, have a good game tonight. Uh, Sal and Club are looking for you guys to score a few tries. Um, I think is it Ben Hunt going to be playing in the half? Um, with Daily Cherry Evans, you have Harry Grant and Hooker, I think. Um, how they gonna, so you yeah, should be a pretty good. Turn good team. That, how they going to how they going to turn around that smashing they got Zade? How they going to do that that big points difference? Well, they've got a home advantage and they've got Billy Slater as coach. So that's how they're going to do it. Okay. Okay. Fair um, enough. I want to move um, on. The, I want to move on to the cricket yep. quickly. Um, so I did fall asleep. I was watching the the game last night. The, um, but I was just wondering if you could get the uh, New Zealand batting cut up. I saw New Zealand when they were about 70 for two. And I think Finn Allen just bring up his 50. So I was wondering, do you, do you have that card handy near you or that you can see? Or yeah, not? I will. <clears throat> yeah, I will do that for you right here and now, mate. I'll tell you, you. Um, right here and now. And you just stay right there and I'll bring that up. Um, and here we go. Okay, so the New Zealand card looks like Guptula Duck, Finn Allen 60, Will Young a duck. Tom Lathan, 55. Henry Nichols, 17. Glenn Phillips, 16. Michael Bracewell, 42, not out. Mitchell Santner, 6. Matt Henry, 3, not out. So there you go. Michael Bracewell, 42 off 40. Three fours, three sixes. One up for us again. How good. And Finn Allen, I'd also like to say um, Finn Allen was very good with the bat last night. It's the best I've seen him in a while. Um, He looked very good. And um, Tom Lathan, well, they obviously... Helped us out a bit because I think we were what we were t- we were no none for two is that Mark Adair got the first two wickets for the first two balls, um, so I did see that and then yeah Finn Allen just got his fifty and um, Latham was starting to get a few runs they're actually looking pretty good but another bit of a collapse against Ireland that's not really that professional is it Smitty we should be playing a lot no. better against them we should be hammering them should be putting them yeah away. none for none for. None for two, and none for two, none for two, no runs for two wickets. Not ideal, not ideal at all. Uh, uh, Zay, thanks for that all-round call. Um, covered a few bases there. Uh, Dean from Dunedin next, of course. Dino, you've been uh, patient this morning. Uh, what did you make of uh, last night and the Angus Tataval ruling? Uh, Sean Stevenson showed how to tackle. He's chopped down a midget absolutely outstandingly, and he hasn't gone off. So don't tell me you can't get down low. That's rubbish. Cheek to cheek, like we taught as kids. They're going high to try and stop the offload, the tail. Maybe we need more offloads in the tail so there's not as many rucks and moles. Just a thought. Okay, interesting one. Uh, Dino, um, uh, brief this morning. Hey, look, did you, did you know who was on the panel that uh, handed down the judiciary uh, ruling? It was chaired by Wang Shao Ng from Singapore, joined by former player Leon Lloyd from England. Can't say I've heard of him. And former coach Frank Haddon from Scotland. So uh, that is the judiciary panel that oversaw that ruling. Dino, don't know any of them, do you? 
No, I don't. But I mean, it's Angus couldn't go anywhere. But you know, they've just got to be so so careful. They know. I remember a few years back, we had someone got sent off in the All Blacks, and Steve Hansen said, "We just got to get smarter." Now, sometimes the referee and the referee's defence in both those stupid decisions, he said they're rugby incidents and he couldn't do anything. But then because of the TMO, and we've listened during the week, they get this, there's too many meetings, mate. That's what it boils down to. Your favourite concept, meetings. Get rid of some of these top-heavy dickheads that just decide that he did something wrong. Everyone at the ground, everyone watching it, everyone that knows the game knows it's unfortunate, but that's it, it's unfortunate. But for me, I want you to get the phone number, Smithy, of the Irish number six, number seven, and number eight last night, and then give them to Roger Clark and Clark Dermody, because that's what we need. That number six somehow got back when they made that magnificent break. It wasn't a Mary Ford within sight. He got back there. The number seven was just an absolute pest at every breakdown, and the number eight was a beast. Like, we used to have that, and I listened to Carl there just before, I, I sort of agree. I think Sam would be really good at, at six because it suits his skill set better. I think move, personally move Artie Savia to seven where he should never have been moved from in the first place. And if Hoskins Satudu is supposed to be our number eight, put him there. And the other option would be, say to Akira Ioane, this is your last chance, buddy. Go out there and play the way we know you can. But if you don't, you're gone. Hmm. Interesting, Dean. Love those thoughts. We'll hear from you again tomorrow, of course, um, prior to the team naming. Uh, let's get uh, back up to Auckland from Dunedin, and that's where we find Joey this morning. G'day, pal. How are you going? Yeah, g'day, Smithy. Look, um, I I'm totally agree with you with the Angus Tavell, um situation. They need to change the rule, and the referee needs to be at his discretion. I mean, though, that was just an accidental. They both got injured. Um, they both got concussed. They're both not coming back on and all the referee had to do well he, he couldn't because he had to go by the rule. But if the rule was changed to the referee's di- discretion all he has to do then is say you're both not coming back it's a scrum to the attacking side which had the ball which was Ireland and we carry on and that, that's how it should be. You know the, these, the same last night with um, the, the getting sent to the bin for the, the get, trying to get an intercept. If he had caught that he was gone under the post, the, 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 the Mary Winger. If he caught that ball, he was gone, and he just couldn't get it. He didn't tap it down on purpose. No way in the world. And, and the, the other thing, too, Smithy, I want to bring up, is put Callum Grace at, at number eight, uh, Artie Savera on the open side, and bring back Scott... Um, uh, uh, Scott uh, Barrett back onto the blind side. And that... That just gives... It, it's not saying you're dropping um, Sam Kane. It's just making another option for, for, for us, you know? Um, because because at the moment, I think Sam Kane's probably the third best open side flanker in New Zealand. And that's, that's he hasn't had a lot of game time. He's been injured and he's coming back. And, you know, the, the other two that are in front of him are obviously Artie Sardier and uh, Dalton Papalini. I mean, you know, to me, it's, it's, it's a no-brainer. It's... We can change stuff around before the World Cup, slightly. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with you, Joey. Uh, I, I really do. I, I don't think that any of these sides should be absolutely set in concrete. I think there should be 
I think there should be some continuity. But we're in areas that it's not going well, Jerry. I think you're absolutely right, and I don't have a problem. I don't have a problem with uh, Sam Kane not playing every Test match. I don't at all. Um, and, and and I like that loose forward mix. I really do. On form, Cullen Grace, Scott Barrett, uh, what we saw at Eden Park. Uh, absolutely fantastic, and Adi Savi has got to be a given at, at some point in that loose forward trio, and to start as well. And by God, will he not be fired up at Wellington this weekend after being dealt that card last weekend, where he was taken out of the match for absolutely doing nothing wrong? If you want to spark a, a put, a, if there's money on man of the match this weekend, and the All Blacks play well, you mark my words, Adi Savi will come out of that tunnel absolutely primed for something absolutely brilliant. John, John from Auckland. Good morning to you. Yeah, I don't really want to carry on too much about the game last night, but I'm sick and tired of the match officials interfering at pretty much every ruck, mate. You know, they're always coming through comms. They've got something. They're looking for something. And, you know, it's not letting the game flow. It's actually quite frustrating for people that um, watch rugby union. Um, but what I really wanted to talk about, Smitty, is um, cricket. What's happening with Virat Kohli? I'm hearing um, stuff around the way that people want him dropped. Well, he's not playing well, um, to be fair. Uh, you give guys like uh, Virat Kohli a lot more leeway than you do others. And I will, I will say that uh, Indian players have a very short lifeline unless you're, unless you're great. You tend to come and go quite quickly over there. I look at uh, players like uh, Rahani, who uh, not that long ago was a hero captain in Australia, now can't make the test side. So you, you look at uh, the way India deal with their players. Uh, Virat Kohli is an exception because he is an exceptional player. Uh, but you've got to wonder what, uh, at the moment whether he needs some time out of the game, whether he just to, needs to back off uh, and then come back fresh and maybe take three or four months out of the game completely. But the demands on them in terms of what they've got to do and how much they get paid uh, are so precise in India that he can't afford to take time away from it. He will be linked into so many things. He, he's just got to still be there. So I get where you're coming from uh, because I, I, I John... Uh, love watching Virat Kohli bat. I think he's an outstanding player. I think he's great for the game. I loved his captaincy, his aggression and everything about him. Uh, but he's far from uh, the Virat Kohli that uh, we know. And there is an issue there that perhaps maybe he's just absolutely cooked and needs some time away because skill like that won't disappear forever. It needs to be refreshed. John, great call. Thank you very much. Jade from Hamilton, from the Tron. Good morning, Jade. Hey, Smitty. How are you, mate? Yeah, good, good boy, good, very good. Hey, you just want to talk about safety around scrums. So uh, my understanding is if you get a yellow card prop and you replace a prop, then you're down in, in your scrum numbers, which they're happy to do, prop eight against seven. But let's say, for instance, if you lose your loose head and, and you lose your loose head, your reserve loose head comes on, you lose him for whatever um, the reason may be, then you go to golden oldies, but you have to replace him with a prop. Why can't you replace him with a loose forward or a lock or a, you know what I mean? Why does it have to be a prop, even though it goes to golden oldies, but it's uncontestable? Well, I just don't understand it. Well, Jade, I'll tell you what, you raise a very good point here because from now on, you watch all the ramifications come into play about this ridiculous setup here. Because if, if a, prop can't, a prop runs on but can't prop on one side of the scrum, what is the difference? As you say, because they're going to go to golden oldie scrums, what is the absolute difference? Uh, I, I think you raise an excellent point there. And just see how much coaches, etc., play on this going forward. That was an exceptional set of circumstances. Not to say it won't happen again, and the All Blacks will be a good deal better pre- prepared for it next time round, mate. Don't worry about that. 
that what they got caught with and losing a player like Artie Severe off the park for that period of time, that will not happen again. Mark my words. They are, you know, they are a lot of things, but they're quick learners. And uh, that was just totally, totally embarrassing from uh, the, the, the rule maker's point of view, as a number of things are these days. My big bone of contention, big bone of contention uh, uh, for Jade and those other people uh, who have talked about officiating the game is who is actually in control? Uh, can you point to one person within the group? Okay, the ARs certainly aren't. Certainly aren't in control, but my goodness, pretty evident last night. Uh, but who is actually in control of the game? The man with the whistle, as he has been since the year dot, is he now the man in control? Or is the bloke upstairs looking at the TV screens, looking out the window uh, with very late interventions from time to time, which not only affect uh, the rhythm of the refereeing of the game, they affect the whole rhythm of the game full stop. We're going to take Neville after the break, uh, Neville from Dunedin as well. Um, but uh, thank you so much uh, for your calls this morning. I've really appreciated them, and we'll have a, another opportunity same time tomorrow morning. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Neville from Dunedin, very patient this morning. Neville, thank you very much uh, for that. Uh, what's on your mind? Um, I, firstly, very briefly, last night I thought that penalty try was another classic example of a bit of an over-the-top refereeing. Um, there was a, one of our defenders was right beside the two players I don't think there's any way he would have scored. So um, a penalty, yes, but uh, yellow card and penalty try, I don't know. Some of the decisions, they just make you wonder. Um, yeah, the other thing... I've got to ask you, this, can I just ask you this one, Neville? I, I looked at that as well. Now, yeah. what they're saying is if, if, he had of, uh, if the defender hadn't been there, he would have caught the ball and scored. That's effectively what they're saying. That's why they're saying it stopped... Uh, but yeah. what happened, to, it's just say that same defender, that same defender didn't tackle him, but he still got past the ball, and then he tackled him. I, I, I can't yeah. quite get my head around the whole thing. But anyway, yeah. I, to me, had, he, had yeah. it been done legally, would it have been a certain try? No, because the guy next to him would have tackled right. him legally. Uh, I, I That's my thinking on it, but people, people will come in exactly. Anyway, Neville, sorry, uh, sorry yeah. to inter- interrupt. No, 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 it's fine. No, it was just split second. It wasn't sort of, you know, early. But anyway, what I really wanted to... I, I'm sick and tired of, of the rules of rugby around the breakdown, and that's where we're getting a lot of injuries. It would be so simple to tidy up. Um, you go back years, and I remember the Otago team of, I think, 98 that blitzed everybody at, at the end of the season. They, they beat Wellington 85 Three or something, and then they won the final against Waikato, fifty-eight something. You can't do that now. You can't play that sort of rugby. Um, yeah. In those days, you couldn't tackle anyone who didn't have the ball. But what do we get at the breakdown? This blowing people out of the way is just ridiculous. It should not be allowed. Players get tackled, go to ground. And the minute someone's got his finger on the ball, it's penalty. What the, should happen is that the tackle is made, the referee, there's a, a little count time of, say, one, two, three, then give a penalty, 
But the player who makes a wonderful break, he gets tackled and immediately someone's hand is on the ball and he gets penalised. I just think that's yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. Absolutely right, Neville. Couldn't agree with you more. The breakdown is very contentious. It could always take two players off and play league. Uh, then you don't have the breakdown scenario. And it's, uh, thank you very much for your call, Nev. We've got to go. We've got to come back with a multi before 10 o'clock. He's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Right, uh, yesterday uh, we got a bit of a pasting because uh, I took the Maori All Blacks to beat Ireland, didn't happen, and I backed England to beat uh, India in the one-day international, didn't happen, India beat them by 10 wickets. Tonight, pretty easy one for me, New South Wales to beat Queensland, I think they will, they won't overcome that margin, Queensland, even at home, $1.34 for the Blues. Bangladesh to beat the West Indies in a one-day international to, uh, tomorrow at $2.50, and an M Major League Baseball this afternoon the Atlanta Braves to beat the New York Mets at $1.44. All multied up together, $4.82. So that's New South Wales into Bangladesh into the Atlanta Braves. Uh, right, so uh, what are we coming up in the next hour? We have a Greg Murphy, motorsport legend, straight after the break. Then a panel with Andrew Gordy and Brad Lewis. Uh, and also uh, an opportunity to catch up with Louis Herman Watt and Pip Morris as we round out the hour. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Everybody sidestepping and Di Pasquale gets so close. They're one corner from home. He has a sniff at the gap. He's turned him. He's turned him at the last corner. Well, there's never a dull moment in the world of motorsport, it seems, and that was typified by the drama you just heard there from last weekend's Townsville 500. We're in race 20 of the supercars season. Shane Van Gisbergen was heading for the final corner to claim his second checkered flag of the weekend, only be shunted by chasing rival Anton de Pasquale. Uh, but as sports fans, we love the drama, don't we? We also love to see Kiwis flying in the motorsport scene around the world, where it's happening quite frequently of late, whether it's supercars, IndyCars or Formula one racing, or Formula 2 for that matter. Pleased to uh, introduce back to the show motor racing uh, legend Greg Murphy. It's been a while since we've talked to you, Murph, but there's been plenty going on, of course, uh, for us to all consider. So uh, welcome back, mate. Thanks for your time. Hopefully, uh, hopefully Murph's there. I don't know if I can hear him, gentlemen. Um, we're just doing some technical talks here. Uh, looks like um, we're calling him back. So, yeah, uh, very interesting there. Trying out Murph again, just to see if we can get him to air. Uh, this is uh, one of those moments in radio that you dread. <laughs> but uh, he's not there at, the, at this point. Yeah, I am. Oh, you're there, Murph. Okay, right. Can we get, yeah. run it past you again? I, I, they had trouble. We had trouble getting here to here. So that incident uh, in the last race there. Welcome back, by the way. Last incident in that uh, race in Townsville. We kept hearing the term redress. Can you explain <laughs> to me, uh, the layperson, and those people that don't know what that actually means? Yeah, 
Yeah, sure, Smitty. Uh, yeah, yeah, good to good to talk to you again, mate. Um, uh, yeah, we we sort of it's been a fairly new kind of addition to the the rule set, and and one that's actually been well received in most respects. So, you do something, you you, you knock someone out of the way, you sort of make a mistake, or maybe you do it on purpose or whatever, and you unsettle someone's car, and and you get an advantage from it. Now, there's rules around what's acceptable or not. In, in racing for passing, you know, you, you know, it's okay to rough someone up a little bit here and there, but if you do gain an advantage from, um, you know, pushing someone wide, pushing them off the track or whatever, there's a, there's a chance there that you could get a penalty from it. So you have the opportunity at that point to make a decision and redress that, that passing manoeuvre, which then resets everything and everyone carries on, game on. So in this situation, uh, Anton um, had made a probably a, a pretty predetermined predetermined decision to make a lunge down the inside there unfortunately he he wasn't as close as what he needed to be on Shane and Shane last of the demon late break is the best driver in the field by a long stretch he doesn't really make too many mistakes and um and Anton decided to dive down the inside it was never on turned Shane around luckily it didn't do any more damage to the 97 car um and so he realized he'd made a mistake and he he slowed down going to the the finish line checkered flag was out to let Shane pass again but Shane, uh, in the quick thinking sort of brain that he has got, no one else in the field would have thought to do this, he decided not to redress the situation and allow Anton to cross the finish line in front of him, which was always then going to get a post-race penalty. And um, Shane thought he deserved a bigger penalty than just, um, you know, than actually just letting him pass and win the race. So he slowed down. Anton was given five seconds, which probably wasn't enough, really. Um, but um, they already had five-second lead over third-place car cam waters, so really it didn't actually in the end do anything. So um, he got a penalty, but it didn't didn't really apply, or there was no uh, lasting effect from it. So, yeah, it was an interesting finish. Um, Shane's just so ahead of the game with everybody on the rules, on the driving, every part of it mm. at the moment. He really is in a league of his own. Do you agree with that? Do you agree with the, the Van Gisbergen's Bergen action, or would you have preferred to see him do the, well, I guess the gentlemanly thing and just cruise on by and take the flag. <laughs> no, I actually quite enjoy watching him do things like that. I think it's, um, as I say, it's, it's not something most people would think of or probably anybody in the field would have thought of doing. And um, it just adds to it a little bit, a little bit of controversy. Um, they kissed and made up pretty much not long after that because he was quite angry afterwards about the, the fact that, um, uh, that Anton had made such a blunder of a of a move and um and was you know he was pretty disappointed that he he put himself in that position as an anton put himself in that decision in that position um to uh turn shane around so uh, he moved on but no no i quite quite enjoy that kind of um level that he's he's showing and and you know we need we need some characters we need some of that stuff in the game to just to talk about and and um liven things up Aside from that, of course, he was two from two last weekend, and it was pretty cool because uh, it was in front of his father, who uh, I don't think had uh, been around it live since about uh, 2020. So that was pretty cool to share that moment. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, great for Robert. He's you know he is without question Shane's biggest supporter and biggest fan. Um, you know, uh, they are they, you know they are like two peas in the pod, which is amazing. And then then the team also um, sent him up on the podium there too to receive the team trophy. So, uh, yeah, a great moment for Shane. It was very cool. Okay, so uh, we were back to 250-kilometre ra- uh, races over the weekend, so we, we get through the strategies of uh, pit stops and, and refuelling, etc. 
being key parts of, of the game. Uh, do, you, do you like that that concept? I think what we've got in supercars is such a, a variety, which we've had that for a while, and I've, I've really um, been a, a big advocate for that. So we're back, you know, we had a couple of two fifties in a in a tricky, very difficult racetrack um, to look after a car. There's some uh, big curbs around town, so all that um, uh, can do damage very easily to a supercar. Um, and, and again, the st- strategy side of things, they did have a super soft tyre and the hard tyre, so um, there was a compound in between that they weren't using, so quite a, a difference in the compounds and the tyres for the weekend, um, which which did, you know, it definitely played a part. Now, the strategy um, seemed to be a pretty simple one, on, um, you know, for those that were at the front, but it still, um, you know, adds in a dimension that um, we don't get all the races. So, you know, compared to Darwin a few, uh, few weeks earlier, where it was um, basically pretty straightforward, one pit stop per race. You know, then we have two pit stops per race, um, you know, minimum fuel drop, all that kind of stuff. So I, I think supercars have got a, a really good array of different formats that um, that do mix it up. So, yeah, I'm a, I'm a fan. Okay, so let's uh, look at uh, what's uh, coming up. And, and uh, if we look at the Drivers' Championship as such, are we looking really at uh, a two-horse race here between the two guys we've been talking about this morning, or is it more or less just uh, sewn up from your point of view? Well, I'd like to say that there was a lot more to it, and we're up for a genuine you know, fight to the death at the end of the season. I really would like to say that because um, you know that's what is exciting about um, our sport is the competition and, and um, not knowing what's coming next. But um, SVG is sort of just... Um, is really just a little bit too strong in every aspect of the competition right now. And um, he's not going to win every race from here on in. Things can happen. Um, but his his control over most of the races and the fact that he's just got, as I say, all the pieces of the pie, you know, um, all where he needs them to be, um, his control is just, is just a little bit too much. And, and we saw, as I say, that desperation almost by Anton in that the final lap of that last race to try and do something to counter, you know, Shane's speed and, you know, made a meal of it. And that just sort of highlights again, you know, how how well he has, uh, you know, positioned himself and, and the work that he does behind the scene to be as prepared as he can be. And, you know, he's um, he's got a level of dom- dominance at the moment. So I, I just can't see that, that being um, over, you know, overrun this season, unfortunately for the fans, but great for him Thursday the 6th of October through to Sunday the 9th of October it's uh, not that far away now when you look at the calendar it'll roll around very quickly so for Greg Murphy how do your preparations for Bathurst look at this point Smitty uh, yes um, we've had our first test which is Danaway and I went um, to Australia uh, was that a month or so ago now and uh, had our first test um uh, in the Erebus Motorsport car at Winton Motor Speedway, which is about three hours north of Melbourne. And, and it was good. I mean, Richie was very fast straight out the gate. Um, he was back into a, 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 you know, a really, really good position as far as you know, race driver mode goes, considering he hadn't driven a car for well over two years. Um, it, was, it was impressive to see. And um, so that was really cool. Um, I was reasonably comfortable, but just not um, not close enough to Richie's pace to be, to be you know, um, super happy. But it was good to get the test out of the way. We've got another one coming up mid-August and then another one early uh, mid-September before, uh, before Bathurst. So there's a lot to still be done, still keeping the training up, probably not spending enough time 
you know, uh, focusing on driving a supercar is what uh, I would be if I didn't have anything else on my plate. But unfortunately, mm. being that I'm not a race car driver anymore, there's a bit of other stuff that I've got to do instead of uh, thinking about being, you know, driving cars. So, um, and, yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit more relaxed than what I was pre the first test, but um, still a long way to go. Uh, and you know, still a lot to try and put into place before October. But you're right; it's um, it's come around very quick. The good news is, you know, uh, we've got Pukekohe back on confirmed back on the um, the calendar for September, uh, which is going to be enormous for for supercars and the fans here in New Zealand. I mean, I think it's probably going to be the biggest Puki we've ever seen. I would, I would imagine. Um, so there's a lot to go uh, and happen before uh, we get to the, get to the great race. So um, yeah, looking forward to all of it, really. So, Murph, can you just tell us, uh, for instance, when you talk about being slightly off the pace compared to Richie, what what uh, speeds did you finally reach during the test uh, during that time, and how long since you've actually driven at those speeds? Well, yeah, I mean, compared to Richie, uh, my my sort of average lap time, and and this is a significant amount of time. I mean, you've got a field of supercars these days qualifying pretty much, you know, well, a number of racetracks. You know the whole field's well within a second of um, from pole from the fastest time to the the person on the back of the grid, and I at Winton um, in our first test, you know, I averaged sort of 1.4 seconds off what Richie was doing, um, and consistently that, but um, that's a that's quite a lot of time when you think about driving around a three-kilometer racetrack, albeit it is quite slow. It's a slow racetrack at Winton. Um, you know, it was a it was a quite a lot of of time. I mean, I can see all on the data. You know, obviously got a whole lot of information and data being taken out of the race car, so it's pretty easy to see where the time is. But it's a it's a change in technique that I need to try and implement into my repertoire because um, I'm very used to driving a supercar a certain way, and the cars have changed dramatically. And I can't emphasise enough how dramatic it is, and the way they perform, and how you extract the speed out of them. And um, all my muscle memory and and recollection of of a supercar is vastly different to what uh, it is at the moment and the way you need to drive a car. So I'm trying to adapt to that. And I say that just takes time in the seat. And obviously we don't have a lot of time in the seat. So as as many people, you know, as much as people think it's just like riding a bike, um, you know, it's uh, uh, you know it's it's definitely there's components of it that are like getting back on a bike and, and, you know, you don't forget where the pedals are and what, you know, what the go one is and what the stop one is and the gear lever and the steering wheel, all that kind of stuff. But the the way the developments happen with a supercar to, to make them what they are today and evolve and develop with changes and regulations and bits and pieces, they're vastly, vastly different to what I was, um, I'm used to. So we'll just, um, you know, take it day by day and it'll be what it will be when we turn up at Bathurst. Exciting news uh, from a New Zealand point of view in Formula One, Murph, with uh, Liam Lawson being promoted to Red Bull Racing as their Formula One reserve driver and uh, also reserve driver for Alfa Tori as well. So uh, really big steps for him. Uh, yeah, huge. And um, it's been a challenging period for Liam too, so that's a bit of good news. I can't wait to find out exactly when he is going to drive that car and, and you know, in a practice session and at what circuit um it's going to be a massive day for him to to do that but um you know the the thing at the moment is he's having an absolute shocker in f2 um on the weekend at uh, red bull ring red bull's home racetrack in austria he didn't didn't manage to score one point um so that was that was really hard and it's it's been a real challenging year after coming off such a good start strong start at the beginning of the season 
he's really had a lot of issues from there and a lot of them are team related. So hopefully his uh, confidence isn't um, waning too much and hopefully Red Bull are, are going to you know, see um, things for what they are in respect of results and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and um, you know, Liam gets to showcase his skills again very soon and hopefully behind the wheel of a Formula 1 car. It'd be amazing. Well, Greg Murphy, of course, is uh, host of uh, Race Control. Murph, uh, what have you got lined up for us uh, in the next edition? Yeah, a bit of a uh, short one tomorrow night. Uh, a few other things going on in sport around New Zealand, so we've been uh, uh, sort of just pulled back a little bit. So Stephen and I actually um, have got a short one-hour show. We've got a fair bit to talk about at this stage, though with our reduced uh, time starting at 7 till 8, um, Race Control tomorrow night. Um, we actually haven't got uh, any guests coming on. We're just uh, covering off a whole lot of stuff around what happened uh, during the week. So um, hopefully back to our, our normal uh, structure before too long. But um, there's just so much sport, motorsport going on around the world. Some really amazing, mm. you know, interesting stuff. Kiwi's still doing brilliant things all over the place. And uh, we cover all that off as usual. Good luck uh, to that. Uh, Merv, thanks very much uh, for uh, getting back on our show. Really appreciate your update uh, on things happening around the world. Look forward to your show tomorrow night. Go well, um, my friend, and uh, Cheers, uh, look forward to look look for the All Blacks. Hey, eh? All Blacks this weekend. Oh, mate, mate, they got a bit of work to do, haven't they, to turn things around? It was a bit sloppy last week, um, you know. So they can't uh, they can't sit back and and um, expect that the Irish aren't going to come out again and do the same thing. So hopefully they've learned their lessons. Yep, hopefully they have. Uh, Murph, thanks very much for your time. Catch up again shortly. 10.19 here on uh, SCNZ panel time very, very shortly. Uh, And today uh, we have uh, Andrew Gordy and Brad Lewis with us. All winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SCNZ. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. It is uh, 10.24. It's panel time this morning. We have Brad Lewis with us and uh, Andrew Gordy, two regulars uh, with us. Uh, Andrew Gordy, if I I could start with you this morning, uh, what did you make of last night, uh, the Murray All Blacks uh, and Ireland? Morning, Smithy. Morning, Brad. Morning to all the listeners. Um, Just before we get to that, Smithy, uh, it's a real delight, actually, to be on the panel with Brad this morning. Uh, I know how passionate Brad is about Liverpool Football Club, and I suppose probably the biggest result uh, overnight, Smithy, was, and you would have seen this, uh, pre-season result, Mm. Manchester United 4, Liverpool nil. Now, I mean, Mm. as we all know, you can read absolutely everything into pre-season football, and I think this is a real sign of things to come. Perhaps Manchester United have turned a corner here, and I think, you know, you can probably make them favourites for the Premier League title right now. What do you think, Brad? Well, if they're playing 15-year-old kids every week, Gords, then yeah, absolutely, they will be favourites for the Premier League. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, I thought thought I'd make that sort of response from you, mate. That's fair enough, that's fair enough. No, look, let's get on to the rugby, mate. Um, No, uh, look, fair fair play to Ireland last night, I thought. Um, They're they're obviously, you know, essentially brought two teams down here, haven't they? So, and we obviously know that their first team is is doing an exceptional job uh, against the All Blacks in this series. Um, They were... They were outdone by the by the Māori All Blacks in the first game, but but last night it just felt to me, Smithy, as though the Māori All Blacks were a bit disjointed at times, and um, I, I'm not sure if that was uh, perhaps a sign that this, this Irish second string team have have improved. Um, but but I think they thoroughly deserved their victory last night, and I found some of the comments um, after the game fairly interesting, suggesting that 
this Māori All Blacks team might might need to start playing more often um, if if they're to get some sort of consistency. It's probably not a bad shout. And look, I don't I don't actually mind the structure of this tour uh, of Ireland here. They're, they're playing five games, obviously three tests and, and two against the Māori All Blacks. And I just think that that should probably be the standard going forward. Uh, the standard sort of mid-year tour, I suppose, from these Northern Hemisphere teams. We should have a couple of a couple of midweek games, I suppose, against the Māori All Blacks, and that'll just give them some regularity, I suppose. I wouldn't mind seeing that going forward. I wouldn't mind seeing that next year, uh, to be honest, Brad. Imagine France coming here for three against uh, the All Blacks, two against uh, Māori All Blacks, and then a World Cup following that. Uh, how good a year of rugby with that lineup? And it makes a lot of sense for the touring team, right? Like, um, like Farrell's made it pretty clear the whole time he's been down here that this is about testing some players in some serious games with a World Cup in mind. And look, I think I think Ireland just looked like a team full of confidence at the moment. Now I know that it was a completely different side that turned up at Sky Stadium last night, but um, they, were, they were a different side than the side that played Week One. Uh, and yeah, I just think the confidence of that performance against the All Blacks on the weekend has gone right through that whole entire squad. Uh, and, and they played good rugby last night. Um, I agree with Gords. The Māori looked a little bit disjointed. Um, but, but looking forward, I think, um, look, back, we're not going to go back into the days where we had 13-game tours and the likes of mid-Canterbury and South Canterbury and, and North Auckland and, and teams like that got games, but it would be great to see a Māori and maybe a New Zealand 15 uh, run out um, against the touring side for a six-game tour. Um, I think that would be fantastic. Okay, let's uh, look, uh, Brad, uh, I'll give you a first crack at this. Uh, Angus Tuttleval, uh dished out a three-week ban for uh, his act in the weekend, shall we say, his red carding in the weekend. Um, and the panel chaired by Mr Wang Shou Ng from Singapore said, uh, we'll let you off four of those weeks, three because you've got good behaviour record and one because you uh, have volunteered to undertake some sort of uh, session on it. What do you make of that uh, punishment? Yeah, well, he's a, he's a great of the game in Singapore. Uh, but, yeah, look, uh, uh, rugby has got so many issues, Smithy, and I, I love the game. And um, I, I, let, I let the All Blacks Island test slide the other day, like, like it happened. And, but then I watched the Australian game, and that was enough for me. Like, and for, for someone to go for an intercept and get uh, yellow-carded, the game has become ridiculous. And, look, Angus Tarval went into that challenge, and I get uh, that... Um, that we have to remove head contact from the game. But the fact of the matter is is that he had no intent. It was, an, it was basically an accident. Was his technique slightly off? Maybe. But he had a back running at him, changing distance at, at a trillion miles an hour. And yes, they made head contact. Okay, he, got, he gets a red card. But to suspend the guy for three weeks is ridiculous when... It wasn't. An, it wasn't intentful. There was no spite in that challenge. He, yes, he made head contact. But rugby's got so many issues right now, and it's it's beating itself up on a re- regular basis. There was more intercept, intercept um, malarkey last night. Um, the game is in serious need of a makeover. There, there are a lot of issues right now, um, and I, I think incidental contact contact like that to rule the guy out for three weeks from Test rugby is ludicrous. Yeah, uh, Gords, I'm right in that bracket. I mean, can you compare that head clash with a deliberate headbutt? Gets the same punishment in terms of the match situation anyway. And what a debacle followed on after that. Yeah, it it is ridiculous. And I like to use, uh, when I'm watching a game, I like to use my my wife actually as a point of reference. Um, She saw Angus Tartanvale get a red card and and she just turned around and said, that's ridiculous. It was an accident. Now, 
I understand the agenda that World Rugby is working to here. Um, they are trying to, they are essentially overcompensating, aren't they? They're overreacting to the, the situation. And it is a concerning one, obviously, that we have mo- moving forward for players with, with the long-term impact of head injury. So, so I understand that they have to do absolutely everything they can uh, to prove that they are looking after the well-being of their players and, and removing head contact from the game you're not going to be able to remove it completely from the game. And if you do try to, and, and, and what we're seeing here, with especially this incident with Angus Tarbo, you are ruining the game and you are going to turn people off the game. It, as, a, as a spectator sport, it becomes a, a bit of a farce, really. Um, having said that, the rules are the rules. And if we're looking at this from the point of view of an All Blacks team trying to win a World Cup in a, a year's time, um, I think this... this uh, suggestion that Angus Tavo can a head contact coaching intervention program. I think maybe NZR and Ian Foster might want to sign every single one of our eligible players up to this because it does seem to me that we are not learning fast enough uh, about how to change our, our tackle technique perhaps. I, I, look, I agree with you all that it did seem to me to be an accident and I don't know how Angus Tavo was supposed to adjust his his body position, I suppose, that quickly. Um, but there is clearly some tackle technique that needs to be relearned and relearned very quickly. And, and I think the really standout thing for me was watching that game on, on Saturday night, and I'm sure a lot of people do this now, they, they watch it while monitoring social media. Now, every mm. New Zealand um, spectator of that game blew up calling it a farce and said it was an accident. But every Northern Hemisphere viewer of that incident said that's a red card. And what does that tell you? It tells you that their mindset has been adjusted. Now, I don't, I don't know for sure whether the players have completely adjusted, Northern Hemisphere players I'm talking about now, whether they've completely adjusted their tackle technique to suit just yet. But the expectation of the viewer has changed. And I think that's kind of telling in a way. So really, the rules are the rules. And... We all, viewers and players, are going to need to adjust very quickly or else this is going to continue to be a problem come the World Cup next year. Andrew Gordy, Brad Lewis with us this morning. Uh, we'll take a short break for the news uh, with Araha. And uh, while we're doing that, you may want to consider that uh, Darcy Swain, uh, for a deliberate headbutt, got two weeks. It is 10.32 here on SENZ. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Andrew Gordy, Brad Lewis with us this morning. Uh, Brad Lewis, the name Bracewell again to the fore in uh, cricketing circles again after that great legacy of uh, what five, four uncles playing and a father and first class and test level. Michael Bracewell and the cousin and Doug. Uh, Mike Bracewell comes to the fore in the last two games to save our blushes against Ireland twice in a row. Talented cricketer Smithy. Uh, the other, the other uh, morning, will will we'll live with a lot of cricket fans for a long time. New Zealand with no chance of winning that game with with eight overs to go, uh, and and he, he got them out of a massive hole and bowled, bowled exceptionally well overnight, uh, and then uh, stood up with the bat again again when New Zealand were in trouble, losing two wickets off the first two balls of their innings, uh, and and losing eight wickets chasing two seven two seventeen two eighteen not a. You know, not, not a not a not a chase without any uh, heart palpitations, but talented cricketer uh, who um, is probably suited to all three forms of the game. I just hope, Smithy, that 
it's not the end of Ajaz Patel's career because he's a far better bowler than Michael Bracewell at this point of his career. And mm. Gary Stead has always been a fan of players that can hold the bat a little bit. Uh, and he usually picks players that can bat eight or nine over a bowler, uh, which always worries me. He did it with Ratchin Ravindra over Ajaz Patel, and I feel like he's found his new favorite toy in Michael Bracewell, and potentially that could spell the end of Ajaz Patel's test career, which would be a travesty, given two tests ago he took 10 wickets in an innings. Yeah, incidentally, yeah, that's a good point, a very good point uh, about Ravindra. He was hot there for a while. Uh, can't even remember where he is at the moment. Uh, Gords, what do you make of uh, Bracewell's performance? Yeah, look, brilliant and very encouraging. I think in these sorts of fixtures, which let's face it, um, it's not it's not like it's uh, the the pressure is on. Let's face it, this is Ireland and um, this is very much uh, you know fulfilling the obligations as far as the the future tours program goes. But it is always encouraging when you see. Uh, a player who's new to the new to the setup, I suppose, come through and deliver such meaningful performances, um, because that's how you create depth, doesn't it? Um, because you don't always get the opportunities, I suppose, to create depth when things aren't going your way. But um, it's very encouraging, I think, to see a player like Michael Brace will step um, step up so seamlessly, I suppose, to the international cricket scene. Um, like you, Brad, I'd be deeply concerned if Gary Stead was taking this as some kind of indication uh, that Michael Brace will was player who could fill the role of Ajax Patel on the test arena. We're talking to very different formats of the game here, uh, two very different skill sets required in terms of uh, what you need out of your spin bowler uh, in one-day cricket versus test cricket. So, yeah, I, I'd be deeply concerned if, if um, Gary said was entertaining those sorts of thoughts uh, at this point. But, yeah, look, to answer your question, uh, Michael Bracewell, it, it looks like we've got another... Uh, quality cricketer um, with a good head on his shoulders who, who has shown right from the get-go that he's able to compete at this, at this level. Uh, Gords, uh, I know you've uh, got a, a really good opinion on what's going on in the world of golf at the moment, um, and there's plenty happening. Of course, uh, we're staring down the barrel of the 150th edition of the Open Championship at the old course St Andrews. All the big boys have uh, come to celebrate uh, such a, a great event. All but one, one who was uh, t- was told, you're not welcome here. Uh, that was Greg Norman, a dual winner of it, of course. Uh, what did you make of that? And what have you made of Tiger Woods finally coming out uh, about the, the Live Tour as such? Yeah, well, uh, just on your first point, what a statement, I suppose, for the RNA to deliver to, to not allow um, Greg Norman to attend um, such a such a big moment, I suppose, for for what is, I don't know, I suppose you could call historically the home of golf, if we want to put it in those terms. Um, it seems a pretty clear message on what they think, I spoke at the time, when there is a lot of interest about how the majors are going to, what their approach is going to be towards the players who have defected and joined this Live Golf Tour. So I suppose from their point of view, it, seems, it does seem a message that they're simply not going to be welcome. And, and I personally hope that that's what we see Moving forward, that these players are, are not are going to be forced to make a choice between um, history and money, essentially, um, because at the moment they're not really being forced to make that choice. There's still that that uncertainty, I suppose, about whether they're going to be allowed to compete in the major tournament. Um, I, I would like to see them banned because then that's when, well, the rubber's really going to hit the road, I suppose, as to, as to whether these players have got a choice to make. Um, on the second point in terms of Tiger Woods and him coming out, look, I'm really encouraged to see that he's come out so strongly today. 
Um, and he's made some, some fantastic points, hasn't he? I mean, essentially accusing these players of signing up to an early retirement um, and taking it easy, taking the easy road, um, not being prepared to put in the work, um, essentially playing these shorter tournaments. I mean, he's, he's taken a real swipe, especially our foes at players like Dustin Johnson, Brooks Kepka, Bryson DeChambeau, guys who are well and truly at the top of their game competing on the world stage um, at the very highest level and, and accusing them essentially of, of taking the easy road out. My concern, I suppose, is it has it come too late? Because Tiger Woods, as we all know, is he's not just a, a big voice, a significant voice. He's the biggest voice. He is the player that moves the needle more than any other. And players uh, and, and sponsors and administrators listen to what Tiger Woods has to say. So I suppose if there's one concern for me or, or one disappointment, it's taken him so long to come out this strongly. Now, maybe that's because he has obviously been injured and there hasn't perhaps been the opportunity for him to speak so openly. Um, but this is a great stage, isn't it? A great platform at the British Open, um, you know, the 150th uh, anniversary of it as well. So there's extra meaning, I suppose, to these comments right now. And I suppose what Tiger Woods has tried to do is send a message that he doesn't think these players should be allowed to play in the majors going forward. And that, I think, will, will ultimately be the decisive factor as to whether Live Golf survives in the long term. Because if they are allowed to play in the, in the majors going forward, then, then I think it's, it's done and this, this tour will succeed. And I think we'll see uh, a, big, a, a big quantum shift, I suppose, in the game of golf internationally. Mm, I'll be interested to see too, Brad, how uh, the likes of uh, <coughs> Ian Poulter, um, well, he's an Englishman, so uh, the Scots might not like him anyway, but uh, here's the thing. Uh, there's people like Dustin Johnson uh, playing there, Sergio Garcia, who's uh, turned into a bit of a, a bit of a toe rag, I think it's fair to say. Uh, how they're going to be received anyway without Greg Norman? Yeah, Gordy hit the nail on the head with every single thing that he said there and, and, and couldn't agree, and that's hard to follow. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, look, uh, um, we know that, that British uh, and European fans are particularly uh, rowdy, um, and uh, we've seen that at the Ryder Cup before, and I, I hope they make their, their feelings known because I think there's a lot of golf fans that have been hurt by this as well. I, I mean, I was surprised the way the dominoes f- fell after that first week, and then all of a sudden kept is involved and DeSam, uh, Bryson DeSambeau is involved and uh, look I actually thought Tiger Woods was probably a pretty good candidate for the Live Tour given that he's got nothing left to prove and I think it's great that he's shown his integrity by, by sticking with with um, away from the, the Rebel League uh, but yeah look I, I think those players could be in for a, a pretty hellacious uh, couple of days um, you know much like Quade Cooper at Eden Park in the uh, World Cup all those years ago I think it could be some sort of something similar. Uh, might even be worse than that, I feel. And the English fans, by and large, are pretty polite when it comes to the big events. Um, uh, Gords, um, I won't give you a, a, a reply at this, but um, uh, you'll be um, you'll be thrilled uh, to to uh, to learn that uh, the the English pathway for Manchester United on home terms of homegrown footballers was was confirmed with the goal scorers last night against Liverpool too, with Jaden Sancho, Fred Marshall, and Facundo Pellistri uh, all able to net. For Manchester United, so uh, that's a wonderful pathway that they're producing there. So, and I'm not going to give you, going to give you the reply about Liverpool side. So there you go, uh, Andrew Gordy. Enjoy the rest of the school holidays, uh, Brad Lewis. Uh, thank you very much for your time this morning, uh, and we shall have another panel at the same time tomorrow morning. This is mornings with Ian Smith on SCNZ. 
A lot of text to read out, uh, including one from uh, Stefan from Christchurch here. Just uh, started listening to you guys in the last month or two. Be loving all the chat. Question regarding all this head contact stuff going on in rugby at the moment. Where is the onus on the ball runner uh, around their technique? Surely there should be some responsibility about the, the, the approach to contact to reduce their uh, risk. Where does it stop when ball runner creates risk in a tackle but doesn't get punished? Well, there is a, an onus on him uh, as a ball carrier. Uh, he can't drop his shoulder into anyone's head. He can't drop his shoulder um, or his head into anyone's head area. Um, uh, if he in, uh, in, initiates the contact in that regard, then he'll be pinged for that. Don't you worry about that. Uh, but he is the target after all, Stefan. He is the one that they're all after. He's the danger man as far as uh, any would-be defender is concerned. He's the guy that's got the ball and that's what they're after. So um, nine, 90 times out of 100, uh, he will be on the receiving end uh, as opposed to the instigator. That's why I think you see it far, far more often. But thank you very much. Uh, but worth keeping an eye on, that's for sure. Uh, Smuddy, the Angus thing is, excuse me, isn't very complicated at all. He is in an upright position. The team needs to look at their tackling skills. Uh, another one that's coming this morning. Uh, what was the difference between the Kahui tackle on Mitch Hunt and Super Rugby compared to the Angus Tuava tackle on Saturday? Have to look back on that, but uh, perhaps uh, not so much. Uh, obviously, Brian says, good morning, Ian. We can moan about the rules until the cows come home, but it will not change a thing. The All Blacks and the coaches have much more pressing concerns, and this weekend's test is a turning point for all leading towards the World Cup. And yes, Brian, we should not at any stage uh, lose sight of that because it is a massive, absolutely massive test match. I Smithy World Rugby is a joke. How can a player get suspended for three weeks for an accidental head knock when his head was upright, not bent at all? It was the jolt of the tackle. Uh, come on, this is a joke, guys. I feel sorry for the player if this is how it goes. Now have no tackles at all, have touch, because this is rugby. Hard men, not soft men. World Rugby need to wake up or you will lose your fans. And that's uh, Kerry from Whanganui. Kerry, thank you very much uh, for your text there. I agree with you. It's getting softer and softer. Um, and uh, just share a beer with a few of the old stooges and they'll tell you that it's just not the same anymore uh, and they're all pretty frustrated by it as you are as well uh, so we'll be back with uh, some more text uh, in the next hour but we have to get to Louis Herman Watt and the TAB before 11 o'clock Smith on SCNZ The loveracing.nz update your home for everything thoroughbred racing visit loveracing.nz Racing's biggest fan. We said it yesterday, thank goodness for synthetic tracks, because we have got racing today, nine races beginning uh, in about half an hour's time. Louie, anything for us? Oh, Smithy. Um, yeah, look, it's a, it's a tricky old day there, but ipso facto on the first, it's only half an hour's time, so you'll be able to watch and see where I'm at. Um, it's one on the course before. The Sapita Valor colours seem to have been flying on the synthetic. Um, Rambo and Julia Ritchie, their trainer, and uh, Sam Weatherly, who seems to... Well, whenever he jumps on in those colours, he seems to go pretty close. So that's in the first race. I wouldn't mind that each way, $5.50 and $2.10. And the one we're watching that's stepping up in class today is Fiscal Fun in race number three. We've had success with Fiscal Fun, as many people would have, on the synthetic because she is four starts for three wins and a third. She goes up from rating 65 to rating 74 company today, uh, gets barrier two, really important because she loves to get up on the pace. So if Courtney Barnes can get her out on the barrier, 
and get her rolling along in a nice rhythm. Um, she could be a chance to upset them, I guess, in her first start at rating 74 company. But as always with the Cambridge Synthetic at this time of year, uh, when you've got plenty of maidens, it will be even fields, it will be even races. Race five, sweet talking, another one, Ryan Elliott rides for Mark Forbes, which I'd be watching. Um, but just... I think you'll you'll get a price here and there, so don't be afraid to take something rough because uh, on these synthetics you're never really sure when well, someone can get to the front and run them along and you can get them get one at a nice price, Smithy. Good on you, Louis. Thank you very much for that. I shall heed that advice. Uh, I'll also heed the advice of Pip Morris, who joins us now from the TAB with Greyhounds coming out of Palmerston North today. Uh, Pip, Pip, plenty of sport on as well to bet on. Good morning, Smithy. It certainly is. Your 12 race program. I'll be calling the last four and really keen on big time Rover in race 10. It's Mark Wasnowski's best bet, but he bet me to the punch. So 320, I think, and just 2.8 looks a nice way to play. And yeah, for the sports side of things, well, of course, we've got Origin uh, this evening. Queensland with 20% of the money staked and New South Wales 76%. So 27% to Queensland, 76% for New South Wales. Obviously, uh, losing Cameron Munster has just been such a big loss for Queensland. So head to head market there. Nathan Cleary, anytime try scorer and New South Wales win 13 or more at 750 has been the most popular power play smithy and New South Wales 13 or more most popular winning team in margin option and can tell you Valentine Holmes at 350 by far the most popular player for any time try scorer so uh, keen on the Queenslanders to get one with him and for the All Blacks there's been 10,000 and 5,000 on them to bounce back at $1.25 the Kiwis certainly keeping the faith there and 4.8 thousand on Ireland to cover the 12 and a half point start smithy at 145 and are they playing well at the moment? Weren't they indeed, Pip? Thank you very much for that information. I love Ireland with that point start. I've got to say, they score first, and all of a sudden you're 20 behind with a 12 and a half point start. It's incredible. Uh, 10:59 here, coming up to 11 o'clock. We'll have golf after the break. It's Open Championship time. David Bileski will be with us again. Stumps to behind the mic. Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. 11.03 here on SENZ and uh, it's something special every year. But this one even more special because it's the 150th edition of the Open Championship. It will be played in the old course at St Andrews. So many little idiosyncrasies about the course and the event itself. Uh, one of those uh, this year in particular that uh, all those that have qualified are eligible to play. And what I mean by that is the live golfers will be there. One who won't be is Greg Norman, whose invite was canned. Not even allowed to there to go and uh, reminisce and celebrate his two victories uh, in the championship. So uh, so they've made a statement in that regard. Uh, joining us now to talk about the, the Open itself and the, these events surrounding it is uh, a man we had on uh, last week as well. He became so popular, we just thought we'd have to get him back straight away, David Bileski. David, uh, thanks for rejoining us. Uh, it's getting close and it's getting interesting. What did you make of Tiger Woods' comments, mate? Morning, Smithy. Um, good to be back. Um, yeah, look, I, I thought it was a pretty damning report, wasn't it, from uh, from Tiger? And, and um, you know, there, there's... Despite all, all that Tiger's been through over the last decade or so, um, he still really is the, the, the voice of golf. I mean, that was, that was why Liv turned around and they, they offered him nearly a billion dollars to, to try and come over as, as they recognised that, is that 
what Tiger says still matters, you know. And um, you know, I thought he, I thought he gave a pretty damning report of um, of what has going on in the game, and and he just sum- summarised perfectly what is happening at the moment, and and you know, and and it is it, it is baffling what some of these players are doing in terms of going across to to live, and and I thought that the the way he put it is is well worth watching for anyone who hasn't heard it. Yeah, to me, it was sort of summed up by. Um, money for nothing or money for next to nothing. Look, three rounds instead of four rounds. You know, um, you know, it, it's a it's a, a great reward for non-achieving, basically. So I, I think that was along the lines he went. And, and one of the points he made is that four-round golf. They play three rounds in the Live to- uh, Tour, of course. Four-round golf is a test of someone's stamina. It's a test of someone's nerve. It's a test of someone's patience, without a guarantee at the end of the day, which Live have got. Right, and uh, I mean the the irony of it is that I sort of alluded to last week is that because these players aren't earning the world ranking points on the live tour, is that some of them are, are potentially going to have to go and have to play a bunch of Asian tour events to try and keep their world ranking points up. So this this argument of of playing less golf could actually end up being playing as much or more golf in the end in order to maintain their world ranking points. So. It's it's all just a facade, really, and you know I think I think as a golf fan, and I know that there's many other golf fans who are out there as well who who feel the same. Um, you, you just want some of these players to come out and just admit that they're doing it for the money, you know, like admit that you're you're taking the paycheck, you know, and that's fine, that's that's your decision, but you, you're doing it for the money. You're not doing it to grow the game. You're not doing it to play less golf. You, you're doing it because you got an extremely big check to go over and play some tournaments. Totally agree. Absolutely. There was a point Justin Thomas made uh, about a week ago as well. Okay, let's uh, look at this Open Championship. David, can we? Where does it rank for you in terms of the majors? Well, I mean, look, the the Open has to be right up there, and the Open at St Andrews is just such a, a rare event, and just it. You know, Rory McIlroy described it in his press conference yesterday as 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 the holy grail of golf. Um, you know. Between this and Augusta, I just I think this, this is the absolute pinnacle of the game. Um, there's such there's such history, and um, you know when you look at the list of players who have who have won here, it really just adds to the legacy of of the place as well. So, um, you know it's played here every five years. Um, you you don't get many opportunities to come and do it. So, you know for a lot of these players, I, I think it just adds some incredible pressure. To add to that legacy, if if that is you know it's something that many of them will want to achieve in, within their career, um, you know you may only get two or three opportunities to to win an Open at St Andrews within your your short span that you can play. Um, so I think it's going to be a fascinating tournament, and, and very very excited to see how it develops over the weekend. Started back in 1860, where Willie Park Senior won uh, that particular edition of it, then. Tom Morris Jr. Uh, Tom Morris Senior took over. Tom Morris Jr. Uh, after them, uh, Willie Park Jr. In fact, in one year in uh, 1868, Tom Morris Jr. beat Tom Morris Senior to win the Open. I mean, it's just steeped in so much <laughs> absolute history, which still survives around the course. Now, tell us a wee bit about the course itself and the uniqueness of watching it, because you you're not really allowed on the course itself, are you? Well, no, I mean, the, and a lot of that comes down to sort of these shared fairways and, and shared greens that you get around here. So, um, sort of unlike last week, you would have um, 
remember me mentioning the course was a little bit narrower um, and had had quite high rough. So the defence of St Andrews really comes from the wind and it comes from the 112-odd bunkers that are dotted around the course. Um, you know, and some of those those bunkers are iconic. They're, they're named. Um, and, you know, they've been named after different people who uh, have had a tendency to end up in them um, or one's called hell. Um, because of the effect it can have on um, on golfers' games. So, um, yeah, you, you'll hear a lot about the course in St Andrews that you, you've got a, a tendency to miss left is, is the way, and um, it's a very traditional links course in terms of you've got nine holes going out and nine holes coming back in. So because you've got these big double-shared fairways where, say, when you're you're hitting down the first, you're, you've also got the, the ninth coming back. Um, you know, if you spray your ball left, you're, you're basically just ending up in the biggest biggest fairway in, in all of golf. Um, so, you know, it is a very, very interesting place and obviously, you know, uh, the spiritual home of the game as well. Um, so we're, we're really looking forward to seeing the footage and seeing who can win their way around. It is, uh, and you get to know uh, the course and those uh, idiosyncrasies the more you watch it, um, and, and it almost uh, becomes a little bit... Uh, Augusta-like because you, you get to know the course so well. One of the, uh, the, the little quirks about it is it's a one-tee-off uh, event. In other words, uh, they don't tee off 10 and then play um, off one tomorrow. They stay off 10. And there's actually, in, in effect, 9 hours and 41 minutes between the first tee-off time and the last tee-off time, which means you can play your round of golf, uh, can be home with your feet up um, if you tee off early, uh, and the other guys haven't even arrived to their course to, to begin their practice. It, it's quite staggering in that regard. It is. I think it's fantastic, though, isn't it? I mean, like as a as a golf fan, you can you can jump back in whenever you want throughout the day um, and and join in in that regard. Um, it, where where that does become an effect is potentially all the different window weather windows that these players then have to play through. Um, you know, even even when we've got the traditional sort of like AM groupings and and afternoon groupings um, for players, you can see a big difference in terms of the weather, um, but with Scotland, you know the the, the sun's rising at, at four thirty a.m. and it's not going down until till ten thirty, so they can play this kind of extended schedule. Um, you know, and you're just crossing so many different hours, and and the wind is just so liable to change. And I, I think the course itself, if if you haven't got the wind, that it could be a birdie fest. You know, a, a lot of these holes are drivable. Um, you know, there's there's four or five half fours that some of the longest drivers in the world will be able to reach. If you've got the wind, then then it just becomes too dangerous to take those risks. Um, and you, you've got these bunkers that are just incredibly, incredibly difficult to get out of. So I, I think at the moment it's looking like it's going to be reasonably still, in which case we're probably going to expect a score towards about 20 under. If the wind does become a factor, then, then that will decrease accordingly. Wow, twenty under. That is uh, that is exceptional. Um, but as you say, the wind could change that in just a, a matter of hours. So uh, the interesting thing too around the greens, etc. You've talked about these uh, dual pin placements uh, on one green surface. They're massive greens, some of them, uh, but they're also the the approaches around the greens uh, full of little swales and hollows and things like that. But we quite often see players at St Andrews in particular putting, and where they would never putt on the PGA. Mm. 
Yeah, I mean, and part of that does come down to the wind as well. Um, it's just the the wind can be so ferocious on these lone scoffers because it's just so absolutely exposed. You haven't got any trees kind of blocking the wind or anything like that. So even a even a short um, pitch that's you know only going thirty yards and, and barely getting off the ground could be affected by the wind. And, and you'll see these um, players preferring to, to try and putt in in that instance. Um, so look, yeah, the, there is going to be an emphasis on short game. Um, I would think this week. Um, but certainly, it, as I alluded to, I think if it stays as still as it's looking, you're going to want to tend to look towards some of the, the stronger drivers um, are, are going to have an advantage of, of getting the ball in play um, a fair distance up the road and then um, and then approach play from there and, and getting getting nice and close to those pins and, and taking advantage of those better use opportunities. Let's look at uh, some of the feature pairings, uh, if we can, uh, please, uh because uh, Tiger Woods is back in, hopefully the the old pins stand up to it. He's with uh, uh, Max Homer and, of course, um, Fitzpatrick, uh, who has just uh, won the US Open champion. So that's a mm. really high-quality pairing, that one, Matt Fitzpatrick. It is, absolutely. You know, and the, the, the funny thing is, is, if you get a chance, go and look at Max Homer's Twitter account, because he he's prolific on Twitter. And um, he absolutely adores Tiger Woods. So um, if you're a Max Homer fan, I would be maybe a little bit cautious because he may be a little bit starstruck for the first two rounds of his tournament. Um, he may have his attention elsewhere in terms of going out there and winning it or um, or playing with his idol. Um, look, Matthew Fitz, Fitzpatrick's just come leaps and bounds this year. Um, I, I began um, really paying attention to him sort of beginning of um, February when he'd been working with his coach um, to, to unlock some, some extra speed. And, and I just noticed in, in an interview that um, he mentioned that he'd gained sort of 20, 30 yards of driving distance. And, and then that that really did come across across all those tournaments throughout the year. And for Fitzpatrick, that was, that was really the last element of his game that was missing, is that he was incredibly accurate off the tee and pinpoint with his irons incredible touch around the greens but he was just missing that extra distance and, and he's put such an incredible amount of work into his game that once he worked with his coach and, and they managed to unlock this 30 extra yards that, that he's just really become an absolutely complete player so it wouldn't be surprised at all to see him at the, the top of the charts um, at the end of the weekend Tiger Woods of course the the GOAT um, what, a, what an incredible career and, and just I think I think we, we all need to appreciate how serious his car accident was, how close he came to losing his life. And to be here now at the 150th Open Championship at St Andrews, I think it's going to create some really um, iconic memories for, for all of the golf fans, just the fact that he's turning up and he's playing here. Um, personally, I, I think a good result for him will be if he gets, say, a top 30. Um, we, we've seen at the other majors where he has been able to compete and to tee it up, that that making the cut has been an achievement and then his his body invariably has broken down as the as he's got past those first thirty six holes. So I, I expect that with St Andrews is a bit of a flatter walk and that seems to be the biggest problem with him. Um I, I suspect he will make the cut. You know, it's it's a place he loves. He's openly said this is his favourite course in the world, which I don't know how um, how Augusta National feels about that, but that's fine. Um, but it is his favourite course in the world, and it's a flatter course, so I expect he'll make the cut. 
if he makes top 30, that would be an absolutely incredible achievement. But but if we see him at the top of the leaderboard, but who knows? It's, it's Tiger Woods and, and what a fairy tale story that would be. Defending champ, uh, Colin Morikawa, tees off uh, with uh, Xander Shoffley, of course, uh, winner last week at uh, the Scottish Open. Uh, and Rory McIlroy, who uh, will be the crowd favourite, of course, uh, and is the TAB favourite, as I look at it now, at 11 bucks to be the outright winner. Uh, and Rory, of course, uh, with his stance against uh, Liv, which has uh, maybe just uh, eased off a wee bit, uh, a lot of pressure on him. There is, and, and I do wonder with Rory, I, look, 11 to 1 for me is just, just way too short to, to back him. Like, if you make that bet over your lifetime, you're, you're going to be a loser better um, because there, there just isn't the value in that number. Um, I think he's rightfully favourite, but I, but I agree. I think he's got a ton of pressure on him at the moment. I mean, he kind of has become the the spokesperson for the PGA Tour against these live guys. And I mean, what a better way to to um, speak back to them than going out and winning the 150th Open at St Andrews? I mean, it would it would be the PGA Tour and the DP World Tour's dream for Rory to go out and win it. Um, but I, I do think he carries a lot of pressure in these big events. Um, we've seen it at Augusta National before. Um, you know, in, in terms of the skills of his game, it, it does seem like a really good opportunity for him in terms of the course should fit. Um, you know, when he tends to miss it, he tends to miss it left, which, it, as I said, at St Andrews isn't so much of a problem because you're just in the fairway, you're just a bit further away. Um, so there, there are some positives to it. He's just way too short of that number. I think Xander Schofflay is really interesting. He's arriving off essentially three wins in a row in that he's won the Scottish Open. He won the J.P. McManus, um, if you count that, which is a pro-am tournament, um, which only happens every five years. And, and to be honest, that field is absolutely stacked. Um, and then uh, the week before that, he won the Travelers Championship um, on the PGA Tour. So he's... He's one of these golfers, I said, after the Travelers Championship and, and mentioned in a YouTube show that I participate in um, on the Wednesday, I, I said, look, you know, he's got this win now and um, it's almost like what we saw with Scheffler. Once you've got that, that first win, and I appreciate Schauffele won other tournaments before, but it had been about five years since he's won a 156-man standard PGA Tour event-type field event. Um, he'd won the Olympics and he'd won um, the Zurich Classic, which was a team event. But to win a traditional stroke play event had been some time. And, and it was similar to what we saw with Scheffler. Got that first one off his back and then suddenly the floodgates are opened. Um, you know, and, he, and he's suddenly in that winning mentality. Um, so, yeah, I think, look, he, he's one definitely to watch. I took him last week at 29s, um, and I see that's been cut into the 19s, um, shorter in other places as well. Um, so, yeah, look, do do shop around and make sure you're getting the best odds if that's the way that you're going to be going because, um, look, I, I think it's a very solid bet, but, yeah, you're, you're going to have to shop around to get the best odds on the market. 1963, Bob Charles won it for New Zealand. There are two New Zealanders in the event, of course, Ryan Fox, who plays with Jed Morgan, a live player, from Australia and Mark Kalkovecchia and one of the early tee-off mm. times goes to Ben Campbell as well around uh, 5.46 I think uh, mm. our time tonight uh, tomorrow night sorry that's right yeah look I, I kind of winced a bit when the draw came out for, for Ryan Fox because um, if you if you watch Ryan Fox you just like much like his, his dad apparently gets this from but he he um, he loves to play quickly and he hates to be delayed. And I looked at the, the two players and, and 
like you know, fair play to them. Like they're playing in the Open Championship. They're they're far better golfers than, than you or I, Smithy, but they're they're not the cream of the crop. Let's just say that. And you know, to to uh, for for Ryan Fox's chances, I wonder if it hinders it a bit that he does tend to get a bit frustrated when he's sitting there and waiting to these shots and. Like if if Mark Kalkovacki is you know two or three over on a hole, he's going to have to be standing there waiting to hit his shot. So that's that is a bit of a worry. Um, I, I I did say last week that that I much preferred him at the Open, um, and I, I, the reason for that is is the accuracy of the the tee um, can be an issue at the Scottish Open, especially the rough last week was so penal, and also the the wind was much much more significant than we're going to be seeing this week. Um, you know, and sure enough, look he he made the cut, which is amazing, and he actually had to rally at the end to make the cut, which he truly did. Um, so, you know, he showed um, some great heart last week to do that. But, yeah, look, I, I much prefer him here at the Open, I think, especially if it's still... We've seen him actually play very well in these kind of dirty fests with these wide-open driving um, driving areas. Um, his his victory earlier in the year at Russell Kaima came in, in a similar circumstance of... of you know, although it's it's in the desert, um, you know, sort of undulating fairways, you know, large greens, um, wind coming off the coast, and yeah, like a lot, large wide open driving areas. So, you know, there's there's a lot to like here for Ryan Fox, and I, I know that the 150 that that I originally advised my um, my guys over at Wind Daily to get on is is long and truly gone. I know he opened at 90. Um, on some bookmakers and it's been cut into 80s and 70s. I think if you if you're going the TAB route, I think you're only getting 55. So again, just make sure you're shopping around and getting the best odds that you can. Um, but look, he he's he's rightfully priced in the market as as being in the the top top 40 most likely players to win this thing, which I think is fantastic. It's it's the most it's the the most realistic chance that New Zealand has had of winning a golf major since Michael Campbell, and and it's really really exciting. I'm I'm just I can't wait to see what he does over the weekend. Well, I can't wait either. Uh, to be honest, it's one of the things I look forward to. Get very little sleep over the course of uh, this weekend. I can promise you that, but I don't care. Uh, hey, David, thank you very much. David Bolesky, thanks very much for your input and all those. Uh, Little uh, bitsy things around uh, the, the nature of the course, etc., invaluable to us who are going to watch over the weekend. I hope you enjoyed as much as, as everyone does, mate. I hope your punt comes in, 29 to 1. I wouldn't mind a bit of that myself. All the best, mate, and thank you. Cheers, buddy. Thank you. Cheers. David Valeski there, who's, uh, <coughs> his knowledge is uh, really good. It's really cool when it comes to uh, golf around the world, and uh, particularly uh, when it comes to these big events. Incidentally, I, I can tell you there was a very emotional Jack Nicholas uh, turned up to St Andrews, one because it's the 150th, but two, because they've made him an honorary citizen of St Andrews, an honorary citizen of St Andrews. Um, and there's only he's only the third American to ever officially ma- be made the honorary citizen of St Andrews. One is Bobby Jones, the greatest amateur golfer in the history of the game. The other one, a fellow by the name of Benjamin Franklin. Heard of him? 1124. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. John has texted in, hey Smitty, I've been a rugby tragic involved with rugby since I was five, I'm now 62. I've played, coached, ref, done admin, I'm starting to get turned off watching the game anymore due to the red and yellow cards. There will be reds and yellows in every game we watch now, it is just sad, John. 
made the point yesterday that I fear for the World Cup unless something happens in the next 12 months in terms of uh, how things are going at the moment. It will just be a procession, a parade of uh, people being offered a card, yellow or red, uh, throughout that tournament. You can just see it standing out at the moment. You just can with the different styles of play, the different attitudes, the different way it's been uh, refereed, the different uh, interpretations of some of the things. You can just see when it comes to the biggest stage of all, which is the biggest stage for the players, but also, incidentally, the biggest stage for the referees, it could turn into a card fest, as simple as that. Uh, we've got a text here from uh, Carlos saying, uh, Tiger Woods best think twice when pointing the finger at uh, live golfers for being disloyal to the PGA. After all, Tiger is a pillar, uh, is not a pillar of example of loyalty. At least some of those live golfers were most likely loyal to their wives. Those in glass houses, says Carlos. Ah, interesting, quite personal. I'm not sure uh, anyone's brought that up at a press conference. That would be an interesting response, wouldn't it, if uh, that was the case? Uh, but Carlos, yeah, loyalty is loyalty, as you will say. And um, as people that live in glass houses, probably one of the greatest sayings in the history of all life. One of the greatest games in the history of all life is Stump Smithy. And that's coming up uh, very shortly. You have the opportunity to dial 0800 150811. And you're in line to win a uh, voucher, a $50 TAB voucher this morning, uh, which you might want to put on the golf at some fairly generous odds. Uh, 50 on Rory McIlroy will return you $550. So uh, get on the blow up, dial that number 0800 150811, and we'll play some stump after the news here with Araha. Match here. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. And as Ian Smith so rightly put, just before it, it is one of the, the greatest games in life, stumped by Smithy on SCNZ Mornings. Up for grabs today is a $50 TAB bonus bet. Smithy, before we get into... Uh, our guest and what the categories might be. Uh, I, I missed doing this yesterday, that's for sure, but how are you feeling going into this one? Yeah, not too bad. Depends on the subjects. Uh, I'm pretty free at the moment, Pretty mentally pretty free. I'm not that clogged up going into this one, so um, I'm hoping I'm hoping I can uh, perhaps build this up to 150 by the end of the week uh, and then give someone a real shot at the weekend. So <clears throat> that's that's my goal. And if I don't get my voice back, we won't be playing, so I'll just have a drink of water. (laughs) While you explain, while you explain the categories and our first guest, please. You did say to me last week, if you have no voice, you get pinched, so we'll see. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I mean, as I said, up for grabs, TAB bonus bet. Uh, This is how the game works. We have three categories to choose from today. If you get a question wrong, then it's over to Smithy for a chance to knock your bales off. Get out within the first two questions. Then it's on to the next caller in line. Get dismissed on the final question, and we will jackpot tomorrow, as Smithy just mentioned. Getting up to 150 on Friday, how good would that be? Uh, first up at the crease, Smithy, is Paul from Timaru. Come in, Paul. Yeah, good morning, Smithy. Uh, Paul, good morning to you, mate. Yeah, uh, look forward to having a South Canterbury guy. Uh, uh, really bold shield effort. I've got to say, Paul, what a terrific shield effort. I hope they got a ticker tape parade when they got home. Uh, they they uh, might have, but uh, I'd have to say the bus was late back on the on the uh, Thursday. I was actually just just the, the captain just before, and he was um he was a bit gutted. He said, "No, nah, it was," but they they really proud of the boys. Yeah, they were uh, they were magnificent. It's as simple as that. They simply were. 
Uh, I hope you're uh, I hope you're uh, just as good this morning. I wish you all the best, uh, Logan. What are the categories? Yeah, good luck to you, Paul. The categories today are golf, state of origin, and American football. Take your pick. Uh, we'll go with state of origin. Should have known. Should have known. Actually, I said to Brian off here uh, before we went into stump. They're going to pick State of Origin. It's tonight. All right. First question for you. Name the coach who has won more State of Origins than any other. Uh, not Graham Lowe. More State of Origins. Um, yeah. Honestly, I wouldn't I'm have thought... take Graham Lowe. Okay. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Smithy. Well, toss up for two between me. Um, can only either be Wayne Bennett or it can be Mal Meninga. So I'm going to go Mal Meninga. Just a couple of chips down the wicket. Right in the slot and away it goes. Yeah. They, as I say, today, tomorrow, Timaru, not for you. Sorry, Paul. Uh, Tony from Christchurch, you're next. Get up into the crease, mate. How you doing? That's pretty good. You sir? Not too bad. Not too bad, Smithy. Obviously, you uh, must be feeling pretty good after that stumping, mate. Uh, second yeah, question. I, I, I thought it was. I thought that was um, you know, either Wayne Bennett or Mel Meninga. Mel Meninga had such a, such a great run there for a while. It was just his trademark, really, to be fair having played in so many good ones himself. So mm. what's question two? Absolutely. Uh, question two. Who has played the most games as a captain? Cameron Smith. <sighs> One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. <laughs> Cameron Smith is a good guess. Smithy, over to you. Wally Lewis, the king. That's a couple of chips down the wicket. Right in the slot, and away it goes. Whoa, oh, Smithy. Oh, I knew you. You're bringing out the State of Origin history book here. We do have one more. I'm pretty sure he doesn't have a lot of good luck when it comes to stumped. Kiri from Manawatu. Come in, mate. Oh, he's, oh, he's gone. He's gone. Kiri's gone. We'll give, Kerry, we'll give someone a chance to call back in. We'll give someone a chance to call back in real quickly because uh, we've got to get to other stuff. But we're at question three. Um, and there you go, Mel Meninga and Wally Lewis uh, out of the same wonderful era uh, in terms of uh, state of origin for the Maroons. So, uh, yeah, here we go. We've got a couple of guys lining up. So, uh, Brian, take your pick and we'll have question three. All right, we're just taking an executive decision here. John from Christchurch. Come in, mate. You're still in line for a win here. How are you, pal? You all right, mate? Yeah, doing good. I mean, as you probably just heard, Smithy, he is two from two. We'll see how you go with your state of O. Who holds the record as the youngest player to appear, to appear in a state of origin match? And I will give you a hint here. He used to be on Fox NRL's coverage. Uh, well, I'm, I'm straight away. I'm thinking Brad Fittler for some reason. I don't know why, but I think it's Brad Fittler. One of the worst things I have ever seen done oh, on a cricket no. field. Smithy, and this all sets it up. Used to be, used to it be, used to that be on Fox's coverage. Used to be on Fox's coverage. Okay, um, I don't know if this guy was it. I don't know if this guy was ever on Fox's coverage. I don't know, but he was a sensation as a young footballer. Really was. Uh, I'm going to go for Bradley Clyde. 
One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Oh, Smithy, I was really gutting for you, man. Uh, ben Eichen, he was, I think he only was oh, removed from Fox NRL's coverage as of last year. Uh, he was the youngest, still holds that record, of course, uh, for Queensland back in 1995, 18 years and 83 days. But, John, because of your quick trigger finger getting onto the phone when we needed you, you win. Dirty. Congratulations, John. Uh, Stay on the line, mate. Brian will get your details. What about Queensland tonight or the Blues, New South Wales? What do you reckon? um, I'm a Queenslander, mate, uh, supporter, and I'm hoping that they can do it. If they play like they did in the first one, um, at least I'm hoping to make a good game of it. But, yeah, I reckon they might sneak home. That back line's pretty sharp, so I hope so, anyway. Good on you, mate. Enjoy it tonight. Enjoy it, yeah. Um, um, sentimentally, because of the Graham Lowe days and the, the era of Meninga, and so I've met Mel Mon- Meninga. She's a terrific man. Uh, kind of, um, I, I kind of maroon guy. I'm a kind of a maroon guy. So oh, I look forward to it, though. I don't care as long as it's a classic. You know, one of those twelve ten sort of ones. I don't want to blow out. I want a twelve ten, twelve nine, fourteen thirteen, going down to the wire sort of games. The classics that used to be in the old days. And I want Wally Lewis and Mark Guy to come out at halftime and punch the living crap out of each other. That would be perfect for me. So uh, thanks very much for taking part this morning. It'll be 50 bucks again tomorrow morning. We'll be back shortly. 10, uh, 11.46, I should say, sorry. And uh, last night, of course, New Zealand uh, made it two in a row against Ireland in the cricket uh, at the Malahide ground uh, in Dublin, or just out of Dublin. And uh, one of the star performers uh, was uh, Michael Bracewell, uh, chasing down 219 for seven, I believe, he scored 42 not out, but the top of the order, we needed a start. We lost our first two wickets without a run on the board in the first two deliveries of the innings. You cannot get worse than that, clearly. Uh, so we needed some substance. They got it from Finn Allen, and Finn Allen uh, made some comments after the game. Yeah, I think obviously it was a tight game, a uh, good game of cricket. Um, tough wicket, I think, um, which is reflected in the scores. Um, power play was obviously tough to, to get through. I think they bowled really nicely, um, as did we. So it was a pretty even contest. Um, then, yeah, the lads finished it off nicely there at the end. Uh, beast, yeah. Um, you are still relatively young, both in life, but also in your 50-over career in terms of professional cricket. You mentioned there's sort of actually the pace of innings. Is that something that was a challenge out there, kind of realising that, hey, there's actually a lot more balls to come here and we can work this total out? Yeah, well, I mean, obviously having Tommy there um, helped a lot and talking with him. But, yeah, I mean, I guess for me, I'm still figuring out the pace that I want to go about with my one-day cricket. And sometimes on those wickets, I guess, you have to sit in and, and realise that they're bowling well and get through that. And we still finished the power play on 56, I think. So, yeah, we came out of it nicely. And I think, yeah, just, just recognising that there are sometimes tough periods in the game that you have to get through. And once you get through that, you kind of sit in a way. So, it was, yeah, a lot of learnings for me today. And, and obviously, as it, again, as I said, nice to spend some time with Tommy Leith out there. So in terms of a calming influence, um, we've seen two games in a row now. Um, Michael Bracewell finished the game off and bat with the lower order. You're obviously a domestic teammate of his, and he's sort of brought some of those leadership skills from the Firebirds into this Black Caps environment, also very fresh into his international career. What has impressed you about what Michael's been able to do? I mean, he's just literally done exactly what he's been doing in domestic cricket um, out here and showing everyone what he can do. You know, that guy's got ice in his veins. Um, he just, yeah, he backs himself 100% and he's got really good options that he's taking and he's just executing really well. So it's it's so good to see. He's such an awesome guy. So I think everyone back home is pretty pretty stoked to see him doing well. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's been phenomenal to watch. Well, one of the goals of uh, actually playing uh, in this uh 
well, I guess, associate nations is the fact you get a chance to blood players and, and give them an opportunity to, to win games and perform well. And Michael Bracewell has done that on two occasions. Uh, and Finn Allen has been picked to do uh, exactly that as well. He's uh, a pretty highly respected player. He's been um, sought after by Mike Hessen at uh, the Royal Challengers Bangalore on two occasions. Hasn't really got a fair crack of the whip as yet, but that might come if he continues to put uh, innings of that, that nature together with some real responsibility. So that was the good news uh, in cricket. It's been quite good uh, in this part of the week, but sad news uh, a little earlier on to find uh, of the passing of uh, Barry Sinclair at the age of uh, 85, black cap number 94, Barry Sinclair, a real character around the game. Uh, scored three test hundreds, uh, was uh, a student at Rongatai College in Wellington, uh, played for Kilburnie and then Wellington for 16 years before making the North Shore in Auckland his home where uh, he became an integral part of the North Shore Cricket Club. An absolute enthusiast for the game. Uh, I can recall as a youngster, uh, when I finished my primary school cricket in the morning, I would go along to Kilburnie Park and watch some of the terrific players that Kilburnie had in their club side. Something like five or six or maybe even seven Wellington players at one stage, one of whom was Barry Sinclair. Barry Sinclair used to bat at three. And if you got within 10 yards of Barry Sinclair while he was waiting to bat uh, and said anything that would uh, that uh, would disturb his attention or his concentration, uh, you'd better run for cover because he was not in the best of moods. He was one of those fidgety little fellas waiting to bat uh, and he found, uh, he found it uh, very nerve-wracking even at club level. So uh, Barry Sinclair, my, memory, uh, my early memory is of that, of watching him score runs of plenty at the base reserve and, of course, uh, as being a thoroughly thoroughly decent bloke around the game as well so pretty sad to hear that, that passing of Barry Sinclair at the, the age of 85 uh, late last week or earlier this week so um, my condolences to um, his surviving family members and uh, those that knew him so well around uh, cricket uh, and uh, just on an entirely different note uh, Brandon Smith uh, we've been talking all morning about uh, Angus uh, Ta'aval copping three weeks for his indiscretion from the judiciary well, Brendan Smith cops three weeks for this. I can't believe it. Hold now! On the mark! Go to, you shorten it. Go. Go. What was that for? What was that for? I'm not even going to repeat what he said. Yeah. I'm not even, I'll, I'll tell you later off camera. I will repeat what he said, Smithy, because uh, we can say it on air. Uh, you just heard it there. Cheating bastard is what uh, Brandon Smith uh, called referee Adam G. Uh, last Thursday night's lost to the Sharks, and so he's got three games for that. Three games, same as um, <laughs> same as uh, accidental head clash. Uh, and one more week, actually, than an intentional head butt. That's still the one that staggers me. Get on your Darcy Swain. you got a good lawyer. At uh, 11.51, we've got staff coming up before midday. It's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now.